right, let's go to our Wisdom Wednesday special guest. He's here with us every week, and he's here with us this week. And we have one week left to convince some of you to come to the St. Benedict Center Conference in Richmond, New Hampshire. Great time of year to actually be in New Hampshire. Go to Catholicism, I'm sorry, uh, store, uh, Catholicism.com forward slash conference. That's right. That will take you directly there. Brother Andre Marie, uh, how are you? Well, I've got a little bit of a cold, Mike, but other than that, I'm doing fine. Well, I, uh, un unfortunately for me, <laughs> I can hear all the nuances of the cold. Your audio connection is so good. So <laughs> uh, we're coming to you live. Brother was the first guest ever. You, uh, Brother, you get to go in the record books, and I'm not sure that's a good thing. That might uh, kind of like be uh, in the Bolshevik record books. But you're in the, uh, you get to go in the record books as the first ever live guest it was broadcast live and connected to Walsingham West here in Longville, Louisiana. So you are a trendsetter. All right. <laughs> and I can't wait. Sometime during the course of this conversation, I know, because it's come up every day since it happened last Wednesday on this show, we're going to talk about some good old-fashioned lesbian. I know it's coming. Oh, no. I, I guess I'll never live that one down. <laughs> no, it's funny. It's funny. Um, brother, I must say, I, I, I honestly, I did my, I did my, my homework assignment, uh, uh, Sensei. Um, uh, I read the Variety Chaley uh, coverage of the dubias, of the new dubias. Um, um, I read the actual dubias. And I read uh, Big Frank, as Mike Parrott calls him, Pope Francis's responses. Um, is it your view then that, that the cardinals that wrote the, the dubia and kind of didn't release it to the press were uh, just didn't want to, to get a media circus involved? They just wanted to privately kind of fraternally correct or reach out to the Pope and go like, hey, we were hearing this. Can you either correct or uh, dispel or clarify this? Is that what you, is that what you think happened? Uh, yes, that's exactly what they did. Um, I mean, they, they 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 didn't do it to to raise some sort of a um, media circus or or public kerfuffle or brouhaha. They did it to bring their concerns to the Holy Father directly as cardinals. There were five of them who who did so. And um, in doing this, uh, they sought really to have certain things clarified before the beginning of the Synod on Synodality. Now, this was back in July. Uh, July 10th, their, their, um, their uh, dubia were dated. Then the Pope gives them a response, probably written by Cardinal uh, Victor Manuel Fernandez, and that was dated... July 11th, which is the very next day, but it was delivered to them on the 13th. And it was this very verbose kind of... Uh, I think I... <laughs> I I think I lost you, brother. Uh, you, 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 you went into mute. Not sure why. Brother Andre and Marie from the St. Benedict Center live here with us. We're talking about this dubia that came out uh, unbeknownst to all of us that uh, was released uh, in July. We're sent to the Holy Father in July. If you don't know what a dubia is or was, 
As soon as we get brother back, I will let him explain it to you. But um, I will do the best that I can to explain it as he explained it to me. And that is, uh, this is what happens when many of you, even those of you that aren't Catholics, would still know or, or have still heard that there is a cause for concern in Catholic circles over the things that the current Holy Father says, approves of other people saying, does, or approves of other people doing. And many people uh, say that, or many uh, people have that, and I, I think I hear Brother Andre back. Uh, I think I'm back. You are back. Um, so many people say that, well, look, he can't do that. And if and I like the way Michael Matt's guy at the Remnant explained it, brother, that even if he does, or even if, uh, if, if they do something, or they were to teach something, if you will, and it was a complete and total error, and the faithful knew that it was, you're under no obligation to obey it. Oh, that's absolutely correct. So that's why. But so, brother, uh, you were you were explaining before you got cut off about the uh, the dubia that came out in July, and that there were there was an attempt to fraternally correct the uh, the Holy Father without it turning into a media circus. Uh, what happened was is that the Holy Father got, and I explained to the audience earlier, he got a, he he got it, and he responded to them, but he didn't answer their questions. Is that correct? Well, okay, so it, can we back up just a little bit? Absolutely, let's do it. They, they didn't, uh, first of all, they didn't offer fraternal correction. Uh, it wasn't worded that way. It okay. was worded as dubia. Now, uh, let me just say, just for, for the audience, because uh, I'm a grammar Nazi, and it, uh, dubia is plural, dubium is singular. Right. So uh, uh, there is a, um, th- they submitted the dubia, which is a standard practice. Now, uh, this has been going on for hundreds of years. The, 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 a, a bishop, usually it's a bishop who does it. It doesn't have to be a bishop. But uh, bishops can su- submit dubia to the Holy See. And it's, what it is, is it's a, it's a question stated in a, in a particular way to get an affirmative or a negative response. And what what happens is the, the, uh, the CDF uh, will, will reply in the... Sometimes they'll say in the affirmative, and then they'll give an, uh, an explanation. Sometimes they'll say in the negative, and then they'll give an explanation. Sometimes they'll just say in the affirmative or in the negative, and they don't give much of an explanation. I don't think they have to. But this is a standard for- forum, a format for getting questions answered. So dubia, dubia literally means doubts. Uh, dubium meaning doubt. Uh, we get the English word doubt from it. Um, that's why there's a B in doubt. Uh, so that we, this, this uh, is a standard practice. So what the Holy Father did was have, presumably, uh, Cardinal Fernandez reply to it. And the replies were, I think this is where I was when I was cut off, essentially written in this very verbose style, extremely existentialese, and... Um, basically ducked and weaved, you know, dodged the questions. And, uh, it, it, you know, they, they wrote it in this very, very, uh, or it, he, I should say, Fernandez, wrote it in this very, um, in, this, in this evasive style. 
uh, you know, on on the one hand this, on the other hand that, and by the end of it, you have like as many hands as some Hindu goddess, uh, and there's no <laughs> clear answer, right? So what they did was they reformulated their dubia uh, with more precision to get um, a clearer answer, to get a yes or no answer, and they said. These answers don't allay our, our concerns. In fact, they heighten them. And uh, we, we, we respectfully request answers to these uh, reformulated dubia, uh, in, answers in the, in the negative or in the affirmative. And um, they sent them on, uh, on, I think it was dated August 21st. So this is a little over a month after they, they, or a little less than a month after they got the response. And uh, Fernandez, in a, in a subsequent interview, said, you know, these, these cardinals uh, sub- submitted dubia and they, were, and they were answered, and then they resubmitted dubia as if the Pope is just there to, you know, uh, constantly be answer, answering their questions. Right. So in other words, it's just, he's just saying, we, we, we answered that, we're not going to waste any more time on it. Um, so th- this, th- and th- this is a sign of just, you know, how, how it, I, w- I would suggest it's a sign of ill will, that they don't want to uh, be put on the spot and don't want to be held responsible for the silly words they say uh, to uh, clarify them and give, give, give um, a, a real answer instead of this verbose answer that, that, that either side can walk away from in fact, already I saw a tweet this morning saying people are arguing over, they're trying to parse the, the answer to this one dubium in order to argue whether the Pope has definitively closed the door on um, same-sex, blessings for same-sex unions. So, uh, and, and people are, you know, you've got, I don't know, Papal apologists who are who are trying to pretend that Pope Francis stands in continuity with his predecessors, who are saying, no, no, no. If you look at it here, he says clearly that you know it, it's not something that the Church can do. But you got to read the rest of the answer because it's deliberately made. It's deliberately designed to keep the door open. And really, what it's designed to do, and this has been there. This has been their methodology going back to the beginning of Pope Francis's uh, regime, especially since Amoris Laetitia. Yep. It, it it has nothing. It has little to do with here is a fixed. Here is the dogma, or here is the doctrine. Here is the moral principle. This cannot be uh, derogated at all. Um, the pastoral application has to uh, assume the truth of this perennial teaching of the church. You know, that's not the methodology. The methodology is we're not changing doctrine. We're not changing church dogma. What's fixed is fixed, and we're we're not pretending to alter it. But we have to take a pastoral approach. And in the pastoral approach, uh, we have to meet people where they are, and we have to understand that people have, uh, are on a journey, and we have to meet them where they are on that journey. And for them, where they are particularly now in that journey, might not be that they're ready for the full, you know, dogmatic teaching of the church when it comes to this moral point. <laughs> so we, we want to respect their con- the autonomy of their conscience. I mean, what, what, it, what it boils down to is one of the answers to one of the questions. And l- l- actually, why don't we, because I think the readers who haven't read any, or listeners who haven't read any of this stuff, 
are going to be wondering, can, uh, we should attach some names and content to this. Um, we've got five cardinals. Yep. Cardinal Walter Brandtmüller, the German, who's the former president of the Pontifical Commission for Historical Sciences. Now, he, along with Burke and two others who have since died, not Burke, but the two others, those are the four cardinals who several years ago submitted five dubia um, uh, regarding Amoris Laetitia. And that was, um, that was done in 2016, and they were never, they were never answered, and, and two of them died since. Cafara, Carlo Cafara and Joachim Meissner both have died since. But, uh, so, but two of the five now, so there's one more, two of the five cardinals who have submitted these new ones are um, part of that original four. That would be Brandmüller, who's over 90 years old, and Burke who's the former head of the Supreme Apostolic Signatura. Right. And, of course, he's an American. Um, Cardinal Juan Sandoval Iñiguez, who is the retired Archbishop of Guadalajara, Mexico. And he's over 90 as well. Um, Cardinal Robert Sara, who some people say his name is Sarah. It's, no, it's not. It's like, que sera, sera. It's Sarah. Uh, Cardinal Robert Sarah, the former prefect of the Congregation for Divine Worship, and Cardinal Joseph Zen, the retired bishop of Hong Kong, uh, who's a real fighter. I mean, and all these guys, I mean, Cardinal Sarah, uh, you know, was on, was on a death list of the Guinean, um, uh, you know, sort of terrorist regime that was in charge of the country of Guinea, where he was a bishop. This man's fearless. He's very quiet, very unassuming, but... And he's very respectful of the Holy Father, but, um, but fearless. I mean, he's defined by a, a certain fearlessness. And he's also publicly on record for thanking the French for coming to his part of Africa to bring uh, the Christian faith and, and Christian culture to Africa. So he's not one of these anti-imperialists um, or what, whatever you want to call them, anti-colonialists. Colonialists, colonialists. Yeah. So, okay, so those are the five cardinals. And um, again, two of them are over 90, and everybody else is otherwise uh, unoccupied because they're all retired. Um, and then none of these are in the cool kids club. I mean, they're all sort of on the outs with the current regime. The, these are the questions. Now, I'm not reading the whole dub dubium uh, of each. I'm giving uh, Phil Lawler actually did, did us all a favor and, and wrote a condensed version uh, of them. The first one is whether the divine whether divine revelation should be interpreted according to the cultural changes of our time. Now, the obvious answer to that is no. There's no, right. right. Uh, second, whether the church can offer blessings for objectively sinful situations such as same-sex unions. Again, the obvious answer to that is no. Uh, whether synodality can be the supreme regulative criterion for the permanent government of the church, again, obvious answer, no. no. Uh, whether the definitive, because this is what they're talking about, they're talking about making the church more synodal. And I wrote something on synodality um, about a month ago or so in the lead into this, uh, showing that the, the, the modern hyper-bureaucratized occidental notion of uh, synodality has nothing in common with the traditional either oriental 
that is to say, Eastern or Western, i.e. Occidental, um, approach to synodality in the early church. It's what's, what's now done is a very bureaucratic um, methodology, and it employs all sorts of bureaucratic means. It's not the spiritual fathers of the faithful getting together to see what doctrinal and moral errors uh, are infecting their people that they can heal. It's got nothing to do with fathers healing their children. And, and clearly in, in this one, it's not only not that, it's essentially the opposite. It's like, how can we infect our children with, with more modern diseases by, by um, incorporating into the, into the body of the church uh, modern errors so that, you know, basically we, we infect the church with the zeitgeist, you know. The, sounds like modern uh, or a Catholic version of Munchausen by proxy syndrome. Infl- yeah. Inflict damage on those you're supposed to care for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, brother, I so, would just like to, if, if, if I may, because I think that the, um, uh, that the way that uh, you sent me this from Roddy Chaley, the way that the, 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 when they bolded the questions, so if you want to uh, do one or two of them long form, because I especially think the one about the disordered homosexual uh, question, uh, the one that Rorati Chaley, that they put in the bowl, the actual dubium for that one. I think people need to hear that because the way it's structured is like, let, let's be absolutely clear about this and leave no room. There's no wiggle room whatsoever here. Yes or no to the question. And I think, I, I just think it, it's, um, this is in the second attempt to get a yes or no answer. Um, so let us rephrase our dubium. Is it possible that in some circumstances, a pastor could bless unions between homosexual persons, thus suggesting that homosexual behavior as such would not be contrary to God's law? and the person's journey toward God. Linked to this dubium is the need to raise another. Does the teaching upheld by the universal ordinary magisterium that every sexual act outside of marriage, and in particular homosexual acts, constitutes an objectively grave sin against God's law? regardless of the circumstances in which it takes place and the intention with which it is carried out, continue to be valid. I mean, they cover the whole thing. So there's, there, there's no room for, well, you didn't ask about just extraordinary circumstances. No, no, we did. They were very thorough in that question because it is a vitally important one, isn't it? Oh, sure. Well, they are. No, they all are. So, the Holy Father, to be clear for people that are listening for the first time and haven't heard anything about this, and I'd never heard anything about it until yesterday, until Brother sent me these links, the Vatican or the Holy Father has not responded to the second set of questions uh, or, and the yes or no answer, which would be the easiest one. <laughs> one piece of paper, question, dubium, dubium one, no. Dubium two, no. Uh, you would get no answers. The, the answer that, would, we, that you said was correct is no in all instances here. Um, uh, well, not in all instances. Uh, I didn't get to the uh, last couple of them when I was doing my... Um, okay, well, let's continue. So, so, whether the, so the fourth one is this. Whether the definitive 
teaching that priestly ordination cannot be conferred upon women is still valid? That's obviously a yes. That's a yes. And then whether repentance is necessary for sacramental absolution. Obviously, that's yes as well. Um, but one, they want to make it so that, and the answer to this one in the previous version of the, of the dubia, the answer to this one that the Holy Father gave was really very disturbing. Um, let me see if I can locate it quickly here. But basically, the, the tenor of his reply was something like this. Um, yes, of course, repentance is necessary, but sometimes, you know, it, it, it's so difficult um, to approach. Wait, let me, let me find it. I, I've got it. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, this is the answer. This will give it. This will give a um, clarity. Clarity. Yeah. Well, no, not. It, it'll, it'll give us clarity as to how unclear these things are. <laughs> it'll clarify the unclarity. <laughs> okay. Yeah, clear? Okay. All right. Um, repentance is, this is the Holy Father, or, you know, really, it's probably uh, Victor Fernandez, Cardinal. Repentance is necessary for the validity of sacramental absolution and implies a resolution not to sin. But there is not mathematics here. And once again, I must remind you that the confessional is not a customs house. And I mean, I'm sure there are so many priests, and especially cardinals, who are confused and who think that the confessional is a customs house. Uh, we are not masters, but humble stewards of the sacraments that nourish the faithful because these gifts of the Lord, more than relics to be preserved, are aids to the Holy Spirit for people's lives. So notice, it, that's all an obfuscation. I mean, what, what you know, all res, you know with, with all due respect, what the hell does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, it's, it's, there are truisms in here. Yes, it's not math. Un understood. Uh, yes, it's not a customs house. Understood. But what does that mean? It's not what it means. It's what it implies that's important. That's how, that's how modernists tend to write. Uh, B, there are many ways to express repentance. Here's the kicker. Often in people who have very wounded self-esteem, declaring themselves guilty is a cruel torment. But the very act of approaching the confessional is a symbolic expression of repentance and of seeking divine help. So what that means, if you, if, if you know, I mean, it doesn't say it because it doesn't say it. <laughs> but what one could walk out of reading this with is the idea that, okay, the person went to confession. He didn't say that he wouldn't do it again. Um, he, he made it clear, in fact, that he wouldn't do it again. But because he went to confession, that, that he made that symbolic act of repentance, and I, have to, I, as the confessor, have to accept that, and I have to give absolution. So that you could have, essentially, invalid absolutions becoming common, excuse me, because the priest is not, I mean, you know, I mean, we've all been to confession. We're all, we're, we're all, and all the Catholics who are hearing me are familiar with the confessional. Uh, the priest isn't grilling you. Are you sorry? Do you do you mean never to do it again? But don't forget that in the in the act of contrition, those things are explicitly stated. You state them. Sorry. The, the penitent states that exactly. 
Oh my God, I'm hardly sorry for having offended thee because I detest all of my sins because I fear thy just punishment, the loss of heaven and uh, the pains of hell, but most of all because you are all good and deserving of all my love from all my heart and my soul and I vow with the help of your grace to avoid the near occasion of sin and to sin no more. Amen. Yeah, so so these are this is part of the act of contrition, and you know it, your act of contrition is a little different than mine. You can tell I've made it a couple thousand uh, times. <laughs> I, I I I learned mine from my grandmother. Okay, and, and, and when they and, and when in school they tried to teach me a more modern version, I recoiled at it. I guess that's where I first became a traditionalist, but. Um, but it, but it was essentially the same thing. I mean, it, 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 because it had just punishments in it. I had fear, because I fear the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. Um, but anyway, th- this idea is, this is implicit in any confession, is, the, is repentance of the sin. I mean, you don't go to confession to brag about it. You know, yeah, I did this, you know. <laughs> I just robbed a bank, I got away with it. You know, you're not going there to brag. You're going there to confess sin and to repent of it and to have it forgiven. And one of the conditions, and this is where many, many non-Catholics who don't know anything about confessional praxis, don't know anything about the sacrament, they, they make these weird assumptions like, you know, confession is somehow you can confess your sins ahead of time so that you can do whatever you want. And they especially say that about indulgences, where it's like you're buying permission to sin ahead of time. No. No, the church doesn't allow that at all. That's a complete, and, 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 you know, malicious caricature. Uh, malicious, at least, in the part of the person who first made it up, because it's, it's false. But uh, the idea is that it, this, is a ser- this is a sacrament. This is a very serious thing. And the presumption is that you're going there not the presumption, the, the condition for its validity is that you're approaching with sorrow, with repentance, with the minimal humility that's requisite to confess your guilt and to receive God's forgiveness. The, the interesting thing about this is that the modern psychology, the, 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 not modern psychology, the pop psychology, pop psychology. Uh, about low self-esteem, wounded, wounded self-esteem, that it's 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 uh, a cruel torment for them to declare their guilt. Well, wait a minute. We all have to declare our guilt. That's actually a, uh, a, a, a necessary prerequisite. I mean, if you look at the Tridentine decree on justification, you cannot be justified without repentance for your sins. This is not a Protestant ca- concept. This is a Catholic concept about repentance for your sins. Yes. It's biblical. It's written all over the, the, the faith. Anyway, continuing on, because this it keeps going. I also want to recall that quote, and he's quoting Amoris Laetitia, that quote, sometimes we find it hard to make room for the unconditional love of God, end quote, in pastoral care. But we must learn to do so. Following St. John Paul II, I maintain that we should not demand from the faithful overly precise and certain resolutions of amendment, which ultimately become abstract or even narcissistic. That's cute. I mean, that's cute. It is People cute. Are, yeah. It's like uh, pot calling the kettle, etc. Mm-hmm. But that even the predictability of a new fall, quote, does not prejudice the authenticity of the purpose. Now, that's true. Okay, so he's quoting a letter from John Paul II to uh, William Cardinal Baum, um, who were, uh, there was a, some program at the Apostolic Penitentiary in 1996. 
So you don't have to make, you know, uh, I've actually had to talk to people, you know, teenage boys who, who struggled with this idea that, well, look, I know myself, I know I've committed this sin over and over and over again. I don't see the point of going to confession and saying I'm not going to do it when I know darn well I'm going to do it. And so, I mean, I, I understand, you know, if you want to say we have to be pastoral, I understand the need to be pastoral. I understand the need to say, I do understand the need to meet people where they are. But you don't leave them where they are, and and you have to explain to them what it means. And and this and this is exactly what I told the the young man. I said, "You're not you're not a prophet, and you're not giving a certain prediction that you will never commit that sin again. You're stating that this is your intention, not to commit that sin again. If you don't have that intention, you can't confess. But if you but if you're if you're seriously going to uh, uh, Want to be resolved? Want to be um, remitted of that sin, forgiven that sin? You have to be sorry for it, and you have to not have the intention of committing it again. And we're talking about grave matter here. And um, I don't know. I I I I think it helped. Uh, I was talking to two guys at the same time. One of them is a Catholic family man now, and he's got a bunch of children, and they're really good. So uh, I think it worked with him. The other one, uh, I don't know that he ever got over his problem. <laughs> but it, it's so you know that that's a tip that that we we just did the long form. We dug dug down. Actually, wait a minute. There's one little paragraph. Finally, it must be clear that all the conditions usually attached to confession are generally not applicable when a person is in a situation of agony or with very limited mental and psychological capacities. Okay, so somebody's dying, right? Or somebody's in a hospital and, and his mind's all clouded. Yeah, the priest isn't going to be there to, you know, say, now, what if you're in this situation? Would you commit this sin again? You know, but here we have, here we have a parody of a, uh, an overly, um, what would you call it, cranky confessor. And it's like any sort of straw man argument. You knock that down. And, but what are you really knocking down? What's your real goal to knock down? What they're really trying to knock down is absolute moral norms. And uh, it, the, the, the key is in the thing about wounded self-esteem. So they're making it so that there are times when we have to accept the, pers- the fact that the person came into the confessional, mm-hmm. that that itself is sufficient to, to connote repentance and, and um, purpose of amendment. What, what if I was waiting in line at the confessional and time expired and Father had to go say Mass? Do I get confession? Uh, uh, do I get absolution uh, because I had the intention of going to confession? I was in line. I just no. didn't get there. No. I, I mean, I, you, I could see that coming up. By the way, folks, Brother Andre Marie, St. Benedict Center, host of Reconquest Radio here. Wisdom Wednesday on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be. Let me just uh, run a, a, a couple small little tidbits here. There are canonized saints uh, of the Catholic Church that were confessors, which means they sat in confessionals for long periods of time and heard lots of people's confessions. I'll give you two examples. My brother probably knows a dozen, but I'll give you two very famous ones. Uh, St. Jean-Marie of Vianney and uh, St. Uh, Padre, as we know him today, St. Padre Pio of Petrolicina. Both men in the confessional heard confessions and told penitents, I'm not giving you absolution today 
because I don't believe that you're sincere in your act of contrition that you're not going to try to to not commit the sin again. And or in, in the Padre and St. Pio's example, he told one woman, he goes, hey, you didn't confess all the sins that you had to confess. I'm not giving you absolution. Um, folks, when, when our Lord tells St. Peter and the apostles, what sins you are, what sins you forgive are forgiven, what sins you retain are retained, he's putting it basically on the priest, on the future priest. It's up to you to, to, to make the determination. But if you say you're absolved and they're not, uh, brother, doesn't that mean that it, it falls back on the priest? Uh, well, I mean, the pre- of course, the priest, uh, the priest isn't infallible when he gives an absolution, and, right? And he he might not be aware of the fact that the person who's coming to him has put up what what the moralists call an obex, right, an obstacle to um, absolution. For instance, if I go to confession and I make a good show of it, right, and I, I confess some real sins. And I say how sorry I am, but I'm not, and I have every intention of doing it again. But the priest has no clue of this because I, I go off and do my, you know, and, and, and he gives the absolution. Well, as far as he's aware, it was all valid, right. but uh, but I've I've rendered it invalid. Now, oftentimes, what will happen in such a case is that, in the context of the confession, that, that would require a very high degree of malice. Uh, and what's the point of walking into a confession just to just to you know desecrate a sacrament? Um, but it, it, it could happen that somebody has less of a malicious intention, but really does lack the contrition or the purpose of amendment. And in the context of the confession, that may come out. Now I know an example of this, and again, uh, when priests tell these stories, they don't tell names, so it, it's not <laughs> a violation of the. Right. For instance, this story was told me by a priest, and this had happened decades before in a different state. I have no idea who he was talking about, but a priest friend years ago, he's, he's dead now, God rest him, told me a story. He said this is the only time I ever had to um, withhold absolution. It was I was I was. Um, hearing confessions before a wedding, and this guy came to confession, and it was very obvious from the way he was confessing that he really didn't mean it. And, and um, I, you know, I, I had to ask him at some point, sir, do you have a purpose of amendment? Now, again, I knew this priest. I had been to confession to him personally many times, mm-hmm. and he was not a rigorist at all in the confessional. He was a good confessor. Um, but whatever happened, the man said something to indicate that, you know, he was kind of going through the motions and he said, well, no, I'm just, I'm just here because my wife told me she wanted me to receive communion at my daughter's wedding. And, uh, I have no intention of, of, of doing that, of, 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 uh, you know, going back to the practice of faith, whatever it was. And, um, the, the priest said, uh, I'm sorry, you've tied my hands. I cannot give you absolution. Um, and then he tried to, you know, he tried to, and this, and priests are encouraged to do this. If you have to, if you have to deny absolution, you tell the person why, and you, and you try to elicit the necessary acts of the penitent from them, the contrition and the purpose of amendment. But it didn't work, and the guy walked out of the confessional, 
as bad off or perhaps worse than when he walked into it. So it's possible for somebody to, um, to, to really abuse the confessional. But, uh, but, the, but the priest, you know, if, if now, according to this new teaching, the priest could say, well, you know, you walked into the confessional um, and therefore you showed, you know, you could be, you could have some seriously wounded self-esteem, you know. And by the way, this whole thing about wounded self-esteem, I mean, a lot of people who have wounded self-esteem, if that's the criteria, they are very angry people and they can be extremely aggressive and hurtful people. I think that there's an understanding that victims of, of, of self-esteem issues must always have this sort of external appearance of humility or meekness and because they're wounded and they're, they're lowly. But a lot of people who are deeply wounded like that actually are some of the most aggressive and nasty people. What about them? You know, do we, do we, give the, do we cut them slack because they're victims? We're all victims, and, and all of us are victims of self-inflicted wounds, and that's what the sacrament of penance is to fix. Not the wounds that other people inflicted on us, but the wounds that we inflicted on ourselves by our own volitional acts called sins. Good distinction. And, oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely necessary. It, you know, it's not psychology. It's not, it's not a, 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 a self-improvement program, although... Although it makes for a good help and an authentic spiritual self-improvement program, um, it's, it's something that uh, it, we go to in order that we avoid hell and go to heaven. You know, it's a sacrament. Again, it's, and, um, and it's all about absolving sin, and that's it. So people uh, cross their, you know, with the whole pop psychology thing, we've crossed our wires and we've sort of, uh, Freudianize the sacraments, especially confession. Now, brother, uh, brother Andre Maria of the uh, Saint Benedict Center and Reconquest uh, Radio here with us. Um, we, we only have like eight minutes left before you have to get back to class. You want to talk a little bit about? There was another cardinal, Cardinal Duca, who also submitted his own dubias or dubia rather, and um, he actually did get a response. Um, from and the uh, the uh, the author of this, Jonathan uh, Liedel, uh seems to think that it was the guy that you identified who answered this, Cardinal Victor Fernandez, um, who, who answered uh, the cardinal's questions. I'm reading the response here. Um, uh, you want to talk a little bit about this one? Yeah. So Cardinal Duca sent in. He's he's the Archbishop Emeritus of Prague, so he's a Czech. Um, what used to be called the Bohemian, um, he sent this in, in July 13th, so on behalf of the Czech Bishops' Conference. And basically what they were asking was, look, this whole idea of communion for the divorced and remarried uh, is very confusing, and we don't know what, what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the standard practice. What, 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 what should we do so that it's uniform? Well, again, a very revealing answer. Um, the, the answer to, the, to, to these dubia, and I think, I think there were like 10 distinct questions that were asked, 10 dubia, but it, it's all around the communion for divorced and remarried Catholics. And um, the, uh, so here's, a, here's, a, here's a, a little taste of the, the answer. While priests should provide pastoral accompany to the individual, 
quote, it is each person individually who is called to put himself before God and expose his conscience to him with both its possibilities and its limits, end quote, and to evaluate their disp disposition to receive. Quote, this conscience accompanied by a priest and enlightened by the guidelines of the church, guidelines of the church, right? <laughs> so, so re requisites, moral absolutes become guidelines, guidelines. now. You know, um, it's called to be formed to ev evaluate and give a sufficient judgment to discern the possibility of accessing the sacraments. In other words, what it's saying is the priest uh, can accompany the person, can offer the person mm -hmm. guidelines of the church, but it's the person himself who has to make the decision. So what they're <laughs> saying is, there, the, 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 and, and it becomes more explicit in the rest of the answer that there is not an absolute, that, that neither, neither canon law nor... Um, Episcopal conferences, uh, uh, nor the bishop himself can establish strict norms for who uh, you know who can receive in these situations. So basically, they've put it all in the conscience of the individual. Now, this there are two canons in the Code of Canon Law that pertain to um, whether a person should a present himself to receive communion or B, be given or denied communion by the minister of the sacrament. And there's no subtlety. I mean, you look at the two, you look at the two canons, it's canon 5, 9, 15, and 9, 16. And one of them has to do with, um, it's up to each individual to examine his conscience, you know, in the, in the, word, uh, in the spirit of St. Paul, you know, that, that uh, we we uh, we can, we see whether we're worthy to receive communion. So there's a. I mean, nobody's worthy. We say that before we receive, right? Non sum dignus. That's right. But if we're if we're objectively in the state of mortal sin, then we can't receive. So each one of us has a duty to do that, and we have a duty if we're co if we're cognizant of an unconfessed mortal sin, not to approach the 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 sacred table, right? Not to approach the altar rail. Uh but then the the other canon, and I believe that they're in this order, canon nine sixteen, is the one which is all about the duties of the minister of the sacrament. And if somebody's living a life of notorious public sin, and the classic example is someone who's shacked up, the classic example is somebody who's living in an adulterous or or a, a you know fornicating uh, relationship, but. It's not a matter of being occult, in other words, hidden, that's what occult means. It's a matter of being public, and the church distinguishes these things very carefully. Even if the priest knew of somebody's occult sin, and he knew that this person was living this way, uh, but it wasn't a generally known thing, he couldn't deny the person um, communion. But if the person is uh, openly living say, mori oxorio with a, a woman who's not his wife, which would be ad adultery or fornication, and it's publicly known, it's a public scandal, the priest has an, not a right, but an obligation, obligation to deny that person communion. Now, that's enshrined in the church's law, and that's something that is based upon the church's perennial practice. It's not just legal positivism. Right. It's enshrined in law. But, but, the, the, you know, but, of course, we're told in this document that canon law can't 
can't address every circumstance. That's true. I mean, that, there is the concept of equity, where you know the law doesn't always address every single issue. But um, but <laughs> the, the, this is talking about a sacred obligation on the part of the minister of the sacrament. Well, we have three examples recently that of, of this in real life, brother. One. Joseph Robinette Biden was quietly denied communion at Tim Williams' church in South Carolina. Um, uh, and uh, the, the priest told him uh, uh, privately, look, you're not in a, because of your public endorsement and promotion of infanticide, I cannot, because, because he knew about it, I cannot give you the sacrament. Bishop Cordelione, or Archbishop Cordelione in San Francisco, wrote to Nancy Pelosi a letter and said, you are publicly scandalizing your fellow Catholics and uh, uh, and uh, however he said about the teaching, I am because you have publicly done this, I am telling you as your superior that you are not to receive the sacraments. Now, she went and did it anyway, right? She went and did it anyway. Then there were the 38... House of Representatives, quote, Catholics, close quote, who wrote their own canon law, basically, and said, because we think that in the modern world that abortion and contraception are so normal and are practiced by so many people that they can't possibly be sins anymore as Catholics, we say that we are entitled to the uh, all, all of the sacraments and uh, where there, there's nothing to see here, citizen, move along. There's nothing wrong with, with us. We don't need to repent, and neither does anyone else who wants to be pro-infanticide and pro-contraception. Well, the USCCB sent all of them a letter that said, you're wrong. You, no, yeah. no, you're wrong. You are wrong. So there are, like, real-life examples of this actually happening recently. Yeah, and these and these people are uh, overtly um, opposing the church's teaching. Knowingly, it's not a question of them. This isn't they 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 don't have the marks of uh, people who suffer from low self esteem. They have the marks of people <laughs> who are aggressively attacking the teachings of the church. That's right. Of course, in what I just said that maybe they do have low self esteem. They're screwed up people, but uh, <laughs> but, but who cares about their self esteem? Let's talk about objective truth. They're attacking the, the revelation of the church. And it's in the name of accompanying such people that the Pope Francis and, and Cardinal um, Fernandez and others want to very much relativize and subjectivize church doctrine. And you know, this is all coming to a head. This is the this is the 1960s chickens coming home to roost. Um, and uh, you know, I I think this is just sort of a necessary stage in the in the church to get rid of this disease. It's all got to sort of come to the come to a head. Um, but you know, now we're seeing various card, including Cardinal Mueller, who never wanted to go on public record against the Pope. Now he actually congratulated and thanked these five cardinals. Um, so that's good. So, 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 what, brother? So, brother, what you're saying is uh, ultimately all of these re- individual revolutions against the perennial teaching of the Catholic Church. Ultimately, they were going to be they they were going to become public. They were going to become basically stated by uh, by those in authority. 
and in this instance, even now the Holy Father and those directly under him. And then ultimately, they had to be, it's a, it's a yay or nay moment. Either this is or isn't, either you're saying that this is or is not the teaching. No more dancing around. Well, they haven't, the Holy Father's not answered a yes or no question. And uh, uh, I wouldn't see why he would at this point, especially after he sent his his uh, his henchman out there, his hench bishop, to basically go. He doesn't sit around in the Vatican all day long waiting for you guys to send him questions so he can provide you answers. He answered your stupid letter. Move along. Um, but you're right, brother. This had to come to ultimately to a head. And if they get it wrong, if they get it wrong and they and they come out of their little synod with, okay, we're going to clarify now. This is the teaching. If he were to come out as they say, ex cathedra, and say, "Okay, I am now stating X," um, as that article that you uh, that you recommended people read from the remnant said, the remedy for that is not upon the laity. There's nothing you and I can do about it, but we're under no obligation to obey it. And you have to put your trust, as Father Wolf likes to say, it's God's church. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. Um, this will be corrected. You just have to believe. You you stay faithful. And just believe and, and know, because you're Catholics, this will be corrected. That error will, that error will not stand, man. Um, and I think that we need uh, to encourage our fellow brothers and sisters in the faith out there not to get bent out of shape over this. Don't go set up a contest. Don't leave the church. Don't jump out of the boat. <laughs> you're on the ark. You're on the right ark. Don't jump out of it. And Because this is what they want you to do. This I think this is what this is designed to do. Um, and they want to steal your joy. Don't let them. That's my two cents. Uh, I agree. And brother, uh, since we're out of time, and you need to uh, you need to heal your, your yourself and get back to class. Tell all of our faithful crusaders out there what is on tonight's episode of Reconquest. What number are we on now? Actually, uh, I, there was no new episode of Reconquest this week because I couldn't do it because we were on pilgrimage. Oh, that's right. That's right. So, yeah. Okay. Well, in the business will be a B.O., as we call, and that's not body odor. That's best of. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, and we will uh, we'll look forward to restarting uh, next, uh, next week and also uh, coming to the St. Benedict Center and seeing all of you uh, for next week's conference. Yeah, looking forward to it. Is the big tent set up yet? Not yet, but it will be set up way too early because <laughs> we, we had a miscommunication with the tent company. But uh, the, anyway, it will be here, yes. Big top. Okay, so uh, if you want to go, there's still time for you to, to grab yourself a ticket, make your plane uh, reservation, or your travel arrangements and all that. Go to catholicism.com forward slash conference. Dot org, dot org. I'm sorry, catholicism.org forward slash conference go sign up there and uh, talk to commander sharp yesterday and he is very excited about uh, coming up and being a part of the conference and uh, so if you're wondering who's there uh, brother andre gives two talks uh they let me get up there at the uh, the slot before lunch on saturday i don't know why but brother keeps humoring me um i will also be your mcmc you have sir charles cologne by the way brother that piece that charles wrote in the last man chippia is excellent about Triumph, Triumph Magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was I, a, that was a that was a part of uh, American Catholic history that uh, 
I knew a little bit about because I knew Gary Potter, and he was one of the Triumph guys. Well, you know what? I, unbeknownst to me, I have all of Melvin Bradford's books, M.E. Bradford's. I had no, I did not know, because I bought them back in 2008, 2012, somewhere up in there. And when I was getting my concert, uh, my uh, my my doctorate in constitutional uh, study and defense on air and online, uh, I have all of Bradford's book, and I love reading Bradford. I didn't know that Bradford was a Triumph guy, and I certainly didn't know he was a Catholic. But now it makes sense because he and Russell Kirk had a little feud going. Kirk was a Lincolnist, and Bradford was a Appomattox, <laughs> a pre-Appomattox <laughs> guy, if you will. And uh, I think that Bradford got the better of of Kirk and all the arguments, but it's a wonderful it's a wonderful piece. Did you know that there's a book that Sophia Institute Press just republished on uh, the uh, the heydays of Triumph? Sophia? No, I didn't. Um, so- Sophia Institute Press, you said? Yeah, um, Michael. That's right, that's right here in New Hampshire. Yeah, uh, Michael Warren Davis uh, 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 sent it to me. And there is a, oh gosh, um, it, it, it is a book about the, it is a collection of essays from Triumph Magazine. And I'm searching in vain now. Of course, I can't find it because I need it. Um, searching in, 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 in vain for it. Um, and Sophia has republished it. Here it is, The Best of Triumph. Uh, nice. Okay, the book is called The Best of Triumph. And uh, it was all about the, um, um, the basically, uh, Sophia has acquired, uh, Sophia just acquired Christendom Press. Are you familiar with them? No. Okay. And got all there, the best of Triumph. Uh, I, uh, I, I believe that Michael is uh, see, sending me a copy. And there's something else that I didn't know that I can't wait to talk to Charles about. And I have actually interviewed uh, Bozell a couple of times back in the old, old, old station, old country, old days. I didn't realize that Brent Bozell had fled Buckley's flock because Buckley was, fly, was fleeing the Catholic uh, corner of conservatism. I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, yeah, there's, there's an awful lot to that, yeah. Buckley was a loser. I mean, he was a CIA uh, operative. He was, a, he, was, he was an Americanist, ultimately, and he didn't give, give any care about the magisterium of the church. He famously wrote a piece called uh, um, Mater Si Magistra No, uh, which was objecting to John Paul the, John XXIII's uh, encyclical Mater et Magistra, about the church, mother and teacher. So he denied the fact that the church was a teacher. He was pro contraception. He was messed up, um, and he paraded as a conservative. Well, uh, he, he paraded as the conservative. And Albert Bozell was his brother-in-law. Yeah, uh, and Bozell. Uh, but no, for those of you that don't know, Brent Bozell, the ginger amongst the group, um, Brent founded the Media Research Center. Which is still cranking uh, news? Um, oh God, uh, news! Not Newsmax. News. What the heck is it called? Newsbuster. Newsbusters. Newsbusters. Yeah, his his son his son I think runs it. Um, but uh, L. Brent Bozell seems to me now that I recall reading him back in the '90s when Limbaugh was promoting the Conservative Chronicle. You know, I started to think on all these guys. I didn't. And I you know I was I was your average Novus Ordo Catholic. I didn't know beans about most anything. Yeah. I would read Samuel Francis. 
and I loved him. I would read Elbrint Brozell, and I loved him. I would read Melva Emmy Bradford, and I loved him. I would read Joe Sobrin, who you knew, and I loved him. I would read Buchanan, and I, lo- I loved all of those guys. And I wasn't a practicing Catholic. I mean, I was, but, you know, I was, I, I didn't take it seriously. But something, you know, that was, uh, and I always look back, brother, and I always go like, Mother, you never, ever left me. You never let me stray. She was always whispering and planting these, <laughs> planting these seeds in, in my, in my intellect to go like, no, I think you want to, I think you want to be a Sam Francis guy, Mike. My son, I think you want to be. I don't think you want to be with the uh, with the with, with those other guys, you know, that uh, that are the collection that that are the, uh, the 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 traitors in the temple, as Mike as Mike Perry calls them. The, <laughs> John Sharp has some flourishing ways to describe them as well. Um, but in, in, in any event, uh, looking forward to seeing you and, and Sir Charles and John and Hugh Owen and Krista Boss and the sisters and Joe and Joe Doyle. I think that rounds out the uh, the guest list, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, yes. So a great conference, a great great weekend, great camaraderie. Yes, there will be uh, uh, there will be good food and uh, and good wine as well. Uh, Catholicism.org forward slash conference. All right, brother. Uh, God bless you. I hope you get well and that you are hundred percent. We like people that are hunted. 100% tweaks now and next Wednesday and certainly next Friday. Uh, God bless you. Keep up the great work. And uh, God bless all of our friends, brothers, and sisters in the wonderful community that is the St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire. God bless you, Mike. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. So much. You're very welcome.